by saying how thankful I am for each and every one of you. And especially, uh, I'm, I'm coming to realize how blessed I am to be a part of this congregation. And the fact that, I mean, like, probably 99% of the people out there looking for a congregation or who are part of a congregation are looking for what I feel I have found at this congregation, which is a family, a group of people that takes care of each other. And, well, you already know, so I'll leave that up. A group group of people that takes care of each other. Uh, People who are looking out for each other's interests, uh, looking out for each other's needs. And also a group of people who are interested in Jesus and in the unity that that gives us. We sang a song uh, that Jeremiah just led us in our fellowship. And I love in the second verse, it says, From many nations made thou one united brotherhood. I love that because this idea that there's, there's, I mean, we're different. We're from different parts of the country. Some of us are from different countries entirely. We're different ages. We have different interests. We're all very different. But we have this one thing that unites us, and that is Jesus and his cross and the church that he died to build. And we are that church. And I'm so glad to be a part of a congregation that that kind of thing is happening in in great strength. And... Yet I, I, I want to encourage us to do what we can to help grow that. I know that God is pleased with what's going on here, but I know that we have potential to grow that even more. And so I want to talk about this morning two ideals for God's church. And of course, uh, God has many ideals for his church. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to cover all of them, but two of them that kind of fit in what we've been talking about. This idea that we are a family, we look out for each other. And also that we are united by Jesus. These are the kinds of things I want to talk about this morning. And to do that, I want to begin in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. This is the beginning of the church. And in this chapter, we're going to find both of the things that we're talking about. So, in the two ideals for the church, let us begin in Acts chapter 2. And I want to read verses 42 through 47. But before, let me set the pace. So, uh, in Acts 2... You know, Jesus ascends to heaven in in Acts 1. He leaves the apostles and he says, wait in Jerusalem for further instruction. And then the the day of Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit descends and they start speaking in tongues and Peter stands up, he gives this message. And the people are struck to the heart. They're like, what do we do? Uh, We we killed Jesus. We missed all the the prophets and we, we just missed everything. What do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized. And so they they build this church, they they create together. What God had intended. And this is what it says, starting in verse 42 of Acts chapter 2. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their houses, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the number day by day, those who were being saved. I want to specifically zero in here on two verses. That'd be verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
The first thing that we see about the church, this ideal, is that they had their needs taken care of. They were taking care of each other. And if one guy had a house, he could sell it to help this other guy. Because here's the situation that's going on here. Jews from all over the world, we'll see earlier in the chapter here in a little bit, that from, I mean, over a dozen different places, all over, I mean, as big of an area as like the U.S., but they're traveling by like camel and, and boat and stuff. Like, huge area. People have come to Jerusalem, and they're there for a set amount of time. They're there for Pentecost. And yet, suddenly, they're part of a group, part of a, a, a group of people who want to learn about Jesus. And the apostles, these 12 men who live and walk with Jesus, who have the message, they live in Jerusalem. And so suddenly, all these people from all these different nations, they need a place to stay in Jerusalem. There's an urgent need. And so the people were like, oh, yeah, you need to stay here to learn about God. Let's, let's make that happen for you. And so they were selling their possessions so that they could take care of each other. Because that's what the church does. We take care of each other. And we have opportunity to do that in all kinds of ways. From, I mean, things as small as, you know, having a baby shower for someone who's a first-time parent and all of the huge expenses that go with that. Or, you know, sending money to people who are affected by storms or uh, people who are affected by famine or affected by, uh, you know, a, a disease. We take care of each other because that's what we're about here. We're a family. And when your family is in need, you take care of them. But here's the thing that here we're talking about physical needs. But the church is about more than just physical needs. It is about taking care of physical needs. I mean, that, that is part of the vision. But we also care for each other's spiritual needs. And if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, we will find um, an encouragement to the people to take care of each other's spiritual needs. So let me uh, lay the groundwork again. Uh, so in Hebrews, the situation is like this. So You've got a bunch of Jews, and they, I mean, the Jews, they're the people of God. And then Jesus comes, and he says, you know, come follow me. And so lots of Jews have, uh, in some ways, deserted their families, or at least their families see it that way, to follow another God, this Jesus. And so these Jews who, who had a family, they had a, a, a group of people they were a part of. Suddenly, they're not a part of that anymore. And they're feeling very lonely. They're feeling very discouraged. And many of them are feeling like they want to desert because, after all, they're the Jews. They're the people of promise anyway. Of course, you know, why, why are they putting themselves through all this effort? And the author of Hebrews makes the point that, no, you got to go through this effort because, listen, no one entered the rest. And if you want to enter the rest, you have to endure. You have to keep pressing on. But pressing on is hard. And so we find in Hebrews chapter 10 this encouragement. Uh, the sentence begins a little bit earlier, but I'll begin in verse 23. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So, as I said, the situation is that these Jews are being oppressed, they're being persecuted, they're in a really difficult and tricky situation. And they want to give up, they're tired. And he says, no, first hold fast to the confession that you made. You made a commitment to follow God, to see this through. You confess that you believe Jesus is Lord, and that has certain ramifications for you. So hold fast to that confession. Don't let go. 
But also, he says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And I think this works in a lot of different ways. So first of all, you have to understand that the, there are people who are considering letting go, stopping following. And that's a very real reality here in the text and also in our present world, that we have people that are getting tired. They want to give up. And he says, make sure that you consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. These love and good works, which we'll see uh, later on in the book of he, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, these good works that were setting them apart from the world, these good works that were uh, kind of making them uh, appear to be Christians because that's, that's what Christians do. They do the good works. They help each other. And when they were doing that, it was like a red flag to all the people who were trying to persecute them. That Oh, these are the people we want to persecute. And so they're getting tried and persecuted and having their property seized because they are taking care of each other. And so these good works are setting them apart. And so they need to stay fast in them. They need to have endurance. They need to keep doing them. And so we need to encourage each other to keep doing the good works because it's hard. Because we might not want to, because we might want to not hold fast to the confession. We might want to give up. But he says, listen, you consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That you don't have to do it alone, okay? God gave us a church. He gave us a family to take care of each other's physical needs, yes, but to take care of each other's spiritual needs. That this is not wait till your brother is only attending once a month or is like you never see him to reach out to him. No, this is, we're taking care of each other. When you see that your brother needs love, needs to be doing love and good works. When you see that they are starting to worry, when you see that they're starting to not hold fast to confession, we gotta go talk to them. And this kind of, it might seem kind of abrasive. You think about this, you think about uh, Matthew 18, that if, you, if your brother sins, go to him. Like, that can seem kind of scary. But I think about the kind of church I wanna be a part of. I mean, that's, that's it. I wanna be with people who are gonna help me get to heaven. We're going to call me out when I'm not living up to what I'm supposed to do. Who are going to encourage me to press on when it's hard. And so we have this encouragement. And we're supposed to be the kind of people that we're watching out for each other. We're considering each other. How do I stir you up to love and good works? How do I know you and what you look like when you need encouragement? How do I know you? How do I know what works to encourage you to? All of these things. And so the ideal is that we take care of each other's needs physically and spiritually, but in reality, that's really hard. I mean, it takes a lot of work. How do we do that? Well, I want to show you maybe not a solution, but a critical piece in solving this problem and how do we execute this, and that is as we keep reading verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He says, look, you can't encourage anybody if you're not here. He says, you can't know your brother well enough to encourage them if you're neglecting the assembly. If when we're trying to get together, you're not here, then how are you going to accomplish that? We need to spend time together. It's critical. And you'll see, if we flip back to Acts chapter 2, that pretty much the same thing is something that we see there. In Acts chapter 2, we read verses 44 and 45 that they had all things in common. They were taking care of each other's needs. But what does it say in verse 46? And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. What's the key? They were together. They were breaking bread together day by day, spending time together. Listen, 
There are two types of churches, okay? There are churches where when you're a part of the church and you need to get a ride to the airport, you call your brother, and there are churches where you call an Uber, okay? There are churches where when you're moving, you, get your, your, you call your church to help you, and there are churches where you get a moving company. There are churches where we confess our sins one to another, and there are churches where we don't do that. There are churches where you have Matthew 18, where you have um, Hebrews 10, 24. And there are churches where you don't. And you got to ask, how do we become a church? How do we maintain the status of a church? Where we are taking care of each other's needs, physically and spiritually, where we're a family. And it doesn't happen when we're not together. The critical piece to this is we got to be spending time together. Outside of the assembly, in the assembly, all the time. We need to be creating opportunities where we can be together so we can be a family. So I can know you. So I can know what kinds of deeds I should encourage you to. So I can know when you're tired before it becomes a real problem. That it is crucial if we want to be a people that take care of each other's needs, that we're spending time together. So that's first, that's point one. There's only two because, you know, two ideals. So first, we got to take care of each other's needs. Second, this is the ideal of unity amongst diversity. And for this, I want to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first 13 verses. Because, I mean, it's, the story here is pretty amazing. And I don't want to skip over any of it. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That is, the apostles. And suddenly... There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene, the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mockingly said, they're filled with new wine. So this story is amazing. I mean, we know about it, that the Holy Spirit comes down and apostles start speaking in tongues and all these people from like a dozen different nations are like, what is going on? We're hearing them speak in our own language. This is crazy. But I want you to understand something. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure this, there's a ring of this to you, that you're hearing echoes of the Old Testament here. And what you need to recognize is that this is an undoing of what happened at Babel. Okay, so at Babel, all right, you remember? We got people, and they were one nation, and God said, divide over the earth. And they said, no, we're not going to divide over the earth. We're going to build a tower together. And then God came down, and he uh, confused their language. So they went all over the place. But now what we have is instead of man's goal to build, it's God's goal to build his church. And instead of, many, uh, of one nation becoming many, now we have many nations all hearing their, their tongues unconfused, unbabbled, 
so that God's word reaches everyone. This is, this is amazing. That the word, like even before Peter starts speaking, or I guess as, as soon as he's, before he's done speaking, we already see that the church is intended to be an international kind of thing, that we're all together hearing the same message. And as we keep reading in the Bible, you can see passages like uh, Ephesians chapter 2 that talk about how Christ died to break down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. You can read in Galatians 3 that Tim talked about last week that, we are, uh, that when we are united by God, there is no Jew or Gentile or male or female or, or free or slave. We're all one. And as we keep reading, we get to Revelation, uh, a text that was actually referenced uh, also in that song that Jeremiah led this morning, Revelation chapter 7. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Then we see who composes this multitude. It is a great number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages that when we get to heaven, we're going to be together with all kinds of people from all over the world, from all different time periods. I mean, as as diverse as you could possibly imagine, that's what heaven's going to be like. And that is amazing. Like, I'm astonished that there is anything that could you, I mean, think about this. The the idea of, like, world peace, okay, is ridiculous, That, that Everyone is, is going to get along. Like, we understand that's not going to happen in the time that we live in, that we live in a world full of sin, full of, of division. Like, that's what we do as people. And yet in heaven, we are told that all nations, from all, as diverse as they could possibly be, we're all going to be united by, by singing salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne of the land. That this one thing unites us. And this picture, this ideal is amazing that we have unity amongst diversity from many nations, one nation of God. But let me ask you, if that's the ideal, um, how do we do at, at accomplishing that? Because, I mean, if I'm honest, that's, that's kind of difficult. Uh, and, of course, uh, Tim talked last week about the idea of being partial, of showing partiality. And I think that's more of a, an overt uh, execution of, this, of, of a failure of this idea, that uh, we, there are people and they're not like us and we don't like them. But I think probably more common to all of us, I know this is something that I do, is I, I'm not intentional about the people that I don't know. Um, and like, I know this is the first hour, so it's like, the middle row is pretty much empty, so it's not really that many people. But like, wait, we get to this, that third assembly, it's like, there's a lot of people in here. And like, if I'm on one side of the auditorium, like, I gotta really, really wanna talk to someone on the other side of the auditorium to get them. Like, it's hard. There's a lot of us. And so, as a result of that, if I'm not careful, if I'm not being really intentional about the way I spend my time here, then there are a lot of people I'm not gonna talk to. Like, people that I talk to maybe like once a quarter. And that, like, that's unacceptable. Like, I, I can't go on living like that because, remember, I'm supposed to know my brothers. I'm supposed to be spending time with them. I'm supposed to, to be together with them, to know their needs and take care of them. And how can I do that if I can't even be bothered to talk to them in church time? And so we have to be aware that this idea that God created our church to be composed of unity 
from many, from as diverse as possible, that we need to be intentional then about speaking to people who are different from us, people who are maybe older than us, people who are you know, of a different political persuasion, people who they have a different background, like people who are different. And by nature, we're kind of cliquish. Not we specifically here, but we just in the world. People are kind of cliquish. We talk to the people that are like us, or we talk to the people that we already know. And the people that are new or the people that we just haven't bothered to talk to yet, they kind of get left on the outs. And that's a problem. It's a problem that we need to solve. It's a problem that we need to be very intentional about what can we do about this. And so here is the point of my sermon where I reveal that I have something of a hidden agenda. All right. So um, a few months back, we were talking in the EDP meetings, the elders, deacons, and me. We got together. We were talking about what are some things uh, that, that uh, we can do better at? How do we help our church to grow? How do we help us to accomplish the kinds of goals that we're trying to set? And uh, we started talking about the encouragement groups and like what's going on with the encouragement groups. How do we make them better? How do we help them to be what they're supposed to be? And so for the last 10 minutes, I want to talk about the encouragement groups because the elders here have made a very intentional effort to create something that allows us to be the things that God wants us to be. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, you talk about unity amongst diversity, for example. So in the, in the New Testament, we read about... Uh, the widows in Acts chapter 6 who were being neglected in the distribution of food. This idea that uh, I was kind of talking about earlier, that uh, if we're not being intentional about it, then there are people who are different from us and they're going to fall between the cracks. So the church, what did they do? They made a very intentional effort. They created a committee of deacons to take care of this problem. In the same way, our elders have made a very intentional decision that we are going to have encouragement groups, and those encouragement groups are going to help us accomplish these objectives. Now, let me ask you, uh, because for me, this was uh, something of a surprise, because I was like, the encouragement groups, I thought we were just like, there to write cards and stuff, but they were like, no. Brent, you understand? Okay, so the encouragement groups are to help us spend time together, to get to know the people that we would normally not talk to as much, to remind ourselves of the importance of the, these people that are part of our congregation, these people we don't see as much, to get us connected, to get us talking, to remind us of each other, and to create opportunities for us to get to know each other and to be vulnerable and to let others know about needs we might have. And I think that's amazing. And so let's talk about these a little bit more precisely. Okay, so first of all, we have this period of time where we've set aside, these are uh, once a month after services, each group will get together, so I'm in group one. And there are people in group one that I don't normally talk to because they're a lot older than me or very different from me, but here, once a month, uh, we're thrust into kind of a small room, and we got, I got to pick a seat next to one of them, and it gives me an opportunity to talk to people that, you know, I don't forget about them. It's not like that, but it's just that these are times when I'm talking to people that I wouldn't normally talk to. It creates a new opportunity. I think that's amazing. Or 
We do. We write cards in encouragement groups. But this helps us also to remember the people that we don't see as much, the people that can easily slip by the cracks, and to remind us that we have really important members of our congregation that, that we don't get to see that often because of health problems and that these people are important as well and that they are a part of our family as well. Or we're going to talk about the fact that what unites us, you know, this unity amongst diversity is that we are all pursuing Christ. We all have a common goal. And as we get together and, and we sit there and we are reminded, what are we here for? What are we doing to take care of each other? And to, we're, we have this, this common goal of, of encouraging people. And no, nothing unites people together like a common goal. And so we have this immediate goal of that we're going to encourage people. We're going to write cards. And that brings us together. It reminds us that we're working for a common good. Even when we seem like very different people at various points in the week, that when we get here together, we're working together that we are a team, we are a family. And so my encouragement then to you is that if you're not taking, um, taking part in the encouragement groups, to do that. And if you are, to do it with more zeal and, and to bring the people who, who aren't here this morning, say, hey, come to the encouragement groups with me because this is really exciting and you might have thought that it was just writing cards, but it's way more than that. That we are about spending time together. And that is why also, additionally, this, this year we're trying to be more intentional about the encouragement groups, trying to make some plans, uh, maybe to have um, like potlucks once a quarter. Like we're trying to create opportunities that we can get together. That's what we're about. That is what the encouragement groups are about. And that is, I mean, like the currency of building a strong church. Like if you talk about like the two fundamental building blocks for how to build a strong church, the first is people who know their Bibles. People who are, who are well equipped in the word of God, who are well equipped in a relationship with God. And the second is people who spend time together, people who are a family, people who fulfill these ideals. And that is what we are trying to pursue. So if you're in encouragement group one, here you got like two hours or so. We're going to have an opportunity to, to do these things, to remember what are we here for? What are we trying to accomplish? And if you're not, that's fine because you guys also we're going to be still here. We can talk. We can chat. We can get connected. You can create opportunities. Talk about a barbecue. We can go to a game. We can do things that bring us together. We can create Bible studies. Anything to create time where we get to know each other because that is how we accomplish these goals. So I hope that this has helped to remind you of the importance of this, that we need to be spending time together and we need to make plans. And so Again, if you're looking for a New Year's resolution, there's one. Spend more time with the saints. I know COVID has made that really difficult, but also COVID has helped us get really creative with ways to do that. And so if you're listening this morning and you are looking for a way to grow this church, a way to grow yourself, a way to get engaged here, then what you got to do is spend time together. Thank you so much for your kind attention. We'll now be dismissed to class.